Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Boy, we are loaded in the screening room this week, and welcome in. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. Bunch to talk about, and the Screening Room Podcast is brought to you by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With their 70-foot-wide ultra screen, featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. Also known as the Big Comfies. <laughs> That's what I called it. I sat in it to watch, uh, what was it, Death Wish Death last Wish, week. yeah. It, it helped the movie. It helped me enjoy the movie <laughs> a little bit more. So, yeah, a lot to talk about. New in theaters, new in home entertainment, and of course, we haven't talked since the Oscars. We were we missed a couple this year. It wasn't our greatest year at picking, but we were happy with the result. Yeah, it was fine. We just didn't think um, The Shape of Water was going to win Best Picture, but it did, and we didn't think that that uh, Get Out was going to win original screenplay. But it but, did, and oh, we were thrilled. Thrilled. We actually thrilled. thought at that point that it had a shot at Best Picture, yeah. which would have been great. But other than that, they all went pretty much according to plan. Congrats to all the winners. So we're back at it now. New stuff. And, of course, the lead this week is A Wrinkle in Time. After the disappearance of her scientist father, three peculiar beings send Meg, her brother, and her friend to space in order to find him. You were a top student, but look at you now. You can't keep using your father's disappearance as an excuse to act out. Is that his work? What's it about? Their dad, he wanted to touch the stars. Heard a cry out in the universe. Father's alive. We believe he is, and we're here to help you find him. We are in search of warriors. Warriors who serve the good and the light in the universe. Your father's trapped by an evil energy. It's too strong for our light. And the only one who can stop it is you. So this one's gotten a lot of press. Yeah, a little bit. And it's funny. Um, you know, it just depends, I guess, on your Twitter feed. It's either inundated with people who cannot wait to see it, who have been, you know, sitting on the edge of their seats waiting to see it, and people who are already saying that it's absolutely awful. That's because anytime something gets big, you always you always mm-hmm. have the haters mm-hmm. that, that chime in. But looking over the critical response to this film, I was a little surprised at some of the real, real negative stuff that I'm that I'm seeing because we didn't feel that way. No, I have to admit that I think I had pretty high expectations because Ava DuVernay is so amazing. The director, Ava DuVernay, who, of course, did Selma and also 13th. Yeah, she's so good. She is so good. And uh, this story is certainly not in that same wheelhouse. This is a it's a children's book. Now, it's not a picture book. It's not for the youngest children. But, you know, it's I also wouldn't really call it young adult. I mean, it's you know, it's adolescent literature at best. But it's uh, for families. It is. So it's a family film mm-hmm. is what I'm saying, which right. obviously is not what she usually makes. That's right. And it's a it's a science fiction fantasy film. And I think that part of part of the problem some reviewers have had is I think they're not familiar with the source material. She actually she does a nice job. Uh, she's faithful to the source material without being slavish to it. So, you know, she's not trying to wedge everything in. It looks beautiful. And I think probably the thing that the film has going for it, its greatest strength, is in the lead. Yeah. Storm Reed. Reed, uh-huh. who was in Slight, who was who, who did a really nice job in Slight a couple of years ago, and and she's she's just perfect. Yeah, great choice. As great Meg. choice. And I think one of the things that that we talked about it 
having trouble finding its its footing is in not so much the story of what happens to Meg, but balancing the other layers of the book with the idea of dark versus light forces, you know, t- kind of battling for control. Yes, I think that I think that you're right. You know, I mean, there's a lot going on in this novel. And I think that the just the adventure that the kids go on they really nail in this film quite well. But it is kind of the bigger picture, more fantastical elements and the bigger themes that I, I feel like they, uh, they they really just don't handle well enough that it all seems to come together in this obvious, clear, bigger vision. Yeah, which is interesting because you look at her other movies, Selma 13th, that yeah. we talked about. There, when she's tackling you know social commentary, she just hits it right just just perfectly yeah just perfectly so you kind of get the sense here that she maybe was just tripped up a little bit by handling handling it from a maybe a more adolescent point of view a little bit also i feel like although madeline lingle's novel is is a classic uh, uh you know there are four novels in the series and all of them are wonderful but it is a little bit dated you know the novel was was published in 1969 and and my feeling is that duvernay had a hard time updating the sensibilities in certain respects. Now, one of the great updates, which obviously I think is is probably what has made this film so spectacular, is that, in fact, the, the lead is an African-American girl. Mm. So one of the reasons, actually, that the book in the first place was so revolutionary is that it, it, never... Did you have at that time science fiction and fantasy novels with a female point of view character? Right. So it was it was uh, groundbreaking, mm-hmm. and so it's it's really great that that Duvernay breaks new ground with this. But at the same time, uh, which you would have come to expect from her from her other films, they're not showy about it. It just happens. This is just happens to be the fact that that yeah. the the the, ty- the the main character is an African American girl, um, and uh, but but there are other things I. Th- feel like she has a heart the the novel is very christian it's not hardcore christian it's very liberal christian but at the same time the the book skirt or the 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 movie skirts that there's very much a, a battle between light and darkness but mm-hmm. it's it doesn't have christian themes i just think that there are certain things about the novel that the that the film has a a difficult time updating mm-hmm. but i think the biggest problem yes is that she can't really pull together sort of the big picture fantasy elements with the core story. But it's still, it's, I mean, it's a great message. I think kids will really enjoy it. I think it is a great movie to see with your kids. Yeah, and it looks great. And you mentioned that we've got the, the supernatural beings. Mm-hmm. Of course, you've got Oprah, yeah. Reese Witherspoon, yep. uh, Mindy Kaling yep. is one. Uh-huh. Yeah, so the overall, the overall production is stellar and uh, as you might expect from Ava DuVernay. So, so not great, but definitely a recommendation this yes. week for A Wrinkle in Time. Next up, one that we've been cautiously looking forward to because uh, 10 years ago uh, was the first movie in this series. It's a family staying in a secluded mobile home park for the night. They are visited by three masked psychopaths to test their every limit. It's The Strangers Pray at Night. This place seems empty. I think everybody leaves after Labor Day. This is nice, right? Does someone else stand here? Is Tamara home? I think you have the wrong trailer.
So this is obviously the sequel to The Strangers from 10 years ago. That's right. Can you believe that was yeah, 10 years 2008. ago? Yeah, I remember Crazy. how excited we were just seeing that trailer. Yes. When all of a sudden she's, you know, Liv Tyler is just not looking. Then all of a sudden in the background, this masked guy, you're like, ah! Oh, yeah. And it was effective. It very was... creepy, brutal. Yes. Uh, very unnerving. So now, 10 years later, we've got an update, and they're still asking, is Tamara home? <laughs> It's uh, it's you know, it's a decent, it's a decent film, especially if you like horror films. But it it just doesn't have any of of what made the original such a strong film. Uh, it it doesn't have that the beautiful spooky wide angle, slow moving, you know, just like that scene. I mean, that there's no there's no music in the scene that you mentioned. Liv Tyler, she's yeah. standing in the kitchen, she's having a cigarette. There's yeah. nobody around. She has no idea. Just out of the corner of your eye, back in the shadows, you see a man. Yeah. In a sackcloth mask, just step in, and then what also is great about it? It's it's like a minute long. It's like a minute long scene, and then he just steps back in the shadows. Yeah. So it's not as if then they they quickly punctuate it with the bloodletting. You know, it's it's, it's a such a slow build yeah. this movie, and it builds to a merciless climax, yeah. which is uh, one of the reasons why. People didn't love it when it came out in 2008. It's really grown in in appreciation over the years. Right. The sequel is a slasher. Yeah, it takes a weird kind of 80s vibe, not only in the strange and anachronistic music, right. because it's not set in the 80s, no. obviously, but also in the vibe of becoming a, a, a slasher-type yeah. movie. Yeah, so, yeah, so a family, they're just spending the night at this, uh, like, lakeside trailer park that is, you know, kind of caters to vacationers, and because Christina Hendricks plays the mother, her aunt and uncle run it. So they're just spending the night there, and then they're on their way to take their daughter to uh, boarding school because she's kind of a problem. You know that because she's got a Ramones t-shirt on. Um, and so while they spend the night in this, in this trailer camp, this is, this is where the three masked villains now live. They've staked their claim here. And so you get the knock is Tamra home. Uh, and it's, it's, whereas the first one you're trapped inside the house, it's a home invasion horror, the original, this one is not that you're spread out on this spooky deserted because it's postseason campground. Well, it takes on a Friday the 13th kind of a feel about it, but the whole thing it has so many quick cuts and uh, jump scares and, you know, just pick people off one at a time. Well, that, that is very definitely what it is. It is a slasher. And at the same time, it's very self-aware of that. I mean, it, it a lot of odes to existing horror films. So it's not like it's not entertaining. It's just it doesn't in any way attempt to recreate or everything that made the first one so memorable. So it turns it just winds up being... A decent but forgettable slasher. And that is The Strangers Prey at Night. Next up, thieves attempt a massive heist against the U.S. Treasury as a Category 5 hurricane approaches one of its mint facilities. It's the Hurricane Heist. Agent Corbin reporting in. 600 million. Buffalo It's all here with about 300 million of its cousins. It's your responsibility. I'm all right at babysitting old money. We're on lockdown due to the storm. Come on, man. Oh boy. Turn around now. What the hell was that about? The treasury's being rocked. We're about to be crushed by the biggest storm of the century. Look out! Hell of a day, ain't it? Hell of a day! This one sets the tone pretty early when they have a prologue to uh, one of the main characters as a boy and living through a hurricane and looking up and 
and seeing what he imagines is an evil skull in the storm cloud. <laughs> so right away, this is what we're in for, people. We're not subtle, okay? <laughs> but you know what? It's I just found it to be a bunch of big, dumb fun, <laughs> you know? Because uh, it's just a few, you know, ticks south or, or north of Sharknado. But uh, it's a heist in a hurricane, <laughs> and it borrows from so many other movies. But I think that the greatest thing about this is director Rob Cohen, who did The Fast and the Furious. The original. The original, and Triple X and some others. But, you know, he knows what he's got. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have filet mignon. He's got hamburger. <laughs> and he's going to spice it up and just make it the most glorious B movie he can. And I think I really appreciated that, not trying to overreach. Right, right. Um, and you've got uh, Maggie Grace. Uh, she plays an ATF agent. And then Toby Kebble, Cabell, he was in that awful remake of Ben-Hur a few years ago and done some other things. He was in um, Kong, Kong Skull Island. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he is the boy from the prologue, all grown up, and he's now uh, a weatherman, a meteorologist, which, by the way, you can expect all your local TV weather people to go see this movie in droves because they're going to be leaving the theater with a swagger. That's right. You know, remember when we were young, we saw Rocky, we came out of there, I'm just boxing the air. Yeah, we're ready. Badass meteorologist right here <laughs> for the uh, for the hurricane heist, teaming up with with uh, Maggie Grace's character to save the day, along with some others. The dad from The Witch, Ralph Einerson, yes. plays the such the, a voice. Yeah, plays the uh, lead heavy lead heavy. Yeah, the guy who who Perkins, who's in charge of the thieves, and and you get the sense that he and his whole band have kind of took a lot of inspiration from Hans Gruber. And uh, his who group, doesn't? Yeah, from, and his group of thieves from Die Hard. Just one of the many movies that it borrows from. If you remember back to movies like Snake Eyes and even Hard Rain, we bring <laughs> weather in yeah, yeah. into into, uh, into play with the capers. So it's like I said, it's it's big and it's dumb and it's got some some pretty decent effects with the weather and it can get thrilling and uh, in spots and the the characters are. Have their cliches because, you know, they're damaged souls. Right, right. They've got some damage in their past, and maybe they'll get a shot at redemption here. What? Yeah. But they're not defined by those cliches, so it just walks to the edge, you know, of where it of where it just has become a total waste. And then you just kind of give into it and uh, and have fun. At least I did. So I would call it, uh, I would recommend it as a guilty pleasure. <laughs> and that is the Hurricane Heist. Got a star-filled affair for the next one. It's Gringo, a dark comedy mixed with white-knuckle action and dramatic intrigue exploring the battle of survival for a businessman, Harold, when he finds himself crossing the line from law-abiding citizen to wanted criminal. Medical marijuana is already a multi-billion dollar industry. The future is this weed pill. Harold! Tomorrow, you're gonna fly to Mexico. What? We want you to hand deliver the weed pill formula to the lab. What's going on? I've been kidnapped! I am somewhere in Mexico with a gun to my head. I know a guy. I've tracked down dictators, but I can find a guy in middle management. What do they want? They want five million. What? Pesos? Dollars! Things are going to start to get better for you. Trust me, I have good instincts. Let's go. There are so many great people in this movie, and I kept watching the trailer thinking to myself, why are they in this movie? Yeah, it was a trailer that did not get me excited. And boy, that's just, um, that was a harbinger of things to come because Yeesh. the movie did not get me excited at all. It made you wonder when you see all these people in the movie, well, what drew them to this project? So it's Charlie Theron, David Oyelowo, 
Joel Edgerton, Thandie Newton, Charles L. Copley, Charles L. Copley, Amanda Seyfried. Yeah. I mean, there are so many really Even good. Michael Jackson's daughter, Paris, shows up. Wow. She's got a cameo. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's directed by Nash Edgerton, Joel's brother. So that might have been part of it. And Charlize Theron is listed as a producer. So, mm. you know, maybe they just wanted to get together and have a good time. Uh, there must have been something in this script to draw them to the project. I just don't see it because it can't really find its groove between trying to be a dark comedy. Mm -hmm. It's not funny. Mm -mm. And trying to be a suspenseful adventure. No. It just goes all over the place. I will give it to David Oyelowo. He he gives it his all, his performance. He is all in. He's <laughs> trying his best to save this thing, but you just end up wondering what the point is because it's 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 also built on a bunch bunch of clichés that we've seen before. You know, they he is a pharmaceutical exec who goes with his bosses, Joel Edgerton and Charlie Theron, south of the border in Mexico on this on this deal. People are shady, deals are shady, then there's kidnapping, or maybe there's a pretend kidnapping, then there's all sorts of these mistaken identities, and so much, uh, there, maybe there's an insurance policy they could get cashed in if somebody dies, and all that sort of thing, and they're just running around and trying to be funny and trying to be suspenseful, and it's just, it's just so much of nothing. I just was totally bored mm. and thought it was a, a real waste of everybody's talent. It's a lot of talent to waste. The next movie is one that's been in the waiting room for a while. It's two upper-class teenage girls in suburban Connecticut rekindling their unlikely friendship after years of growing apart. Together, they hatch a plan to solve both of their problems, no matter what the cost. It's Thoroughbreds. I don't have any feelings, ever. And that doesn't necessarily make me a bad person. It just means I have to work a little harder to be good. I'm sending you to boarding school. After that, you're off my payroll. You hate him. You despise him. You ever think about just killing him? How would you? This is the first film from writer-director Corey Finley based on his play. And it is uh, an incredibly assured first film, like a very confident effort. And and I don't think at any point do you really does he really betray the fact that it came from a play, which is good because sometimes it's, it's hard to make that jump. Mm -hmm. It is a whip smart, very cynical look at what coming of age is like for the most entitled people in the world. <laughs> like <laughs> how it, it's just it's just a remarkable image of how different it can be. I don't know that it would have worked as well, except for the two lead performances. Anya Taylor-Joy, who we love, have loved since The Witch, mm -hmm. she's as good here as she is in The Witch. She is absolutely wonderful, and she's her, her opposite is Olivia Cook. She was in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, mm -hmm. yeah. and some other things. Her, her character, Amanda, is a social pariah at this point because, among other things, she has just taken it upon herself to euthanize her family's thoroughbred horse mm -hmm. in a way that turned out to be pretty savage. Didn't set out to be savage. It just is harder to kill a horse than she thought. So nobody has anything to do with her. And Lily, Annie Taylor-Joy's character, has been sort of forced by the mothers to have her, to have her over at, for a tutoring session. But then you realize that the girls had been friends when they were younger and that they drifted apart. And it's just fascinating. Olivia Cook's character has no feelings. She can't feel. So she's not a sociopath exactly. She goes through this whole thing about how she's, you know, she's been through all the shrinks, everything. She just doesn't feel joy. She doesn't feel guilt. She doesn't feel anger. She doesn't really feel anything at all. Her performance is so spot on. Just this blank-faced, 
it's and then and then you get the feeling that Lily maybe feels too much. But the truth is, and this is where Anya Taylor Joy's performance is amazing. The whole film is about when you are from this particular class of people. A lack of empathy is not a bad thing to have. So it really winds up being how this very, very, very upper crust adolescent girl reestablishes her position as alpha. Mm-hmm. It's it's ugly. It's it's so wicked. It's very funny in a very mean spirited way. And Anton Yelkin makes his final performance in this film yeah. as the low rent druggie that they're going to try to blackmail into doing their work for them. And that's when you really get a sense of exactly how disposable the rest of us are to this particular population <laughs> of people. It's a brilliantly put together, brilliantly written film, and it's incredibly well acted. I'm not sure it holds together all the way through because at the end, I think you feel like the story is kind of just starting. I'm not sure what the bigger point is, but boy, the performances are amazing and it is a blackest comedy that you are going to see this year love black comedy and certainly marks Corey finley as someone that we want to watch in the future absolutely and in a similar vein to thoroughbreds is another one in limited release this week it's the story of janet hosting a party to celebrate her new promotion but once the guests arrive it becomes clear that not everything is going to go down as smoothly as the red wine in the party Although it might have a deleterious effect on your career strategy, you could consider murder. Tom is one of those amoral money men. Intellectuals, you think you're so superior. Money bought this house, not ideas. Truth, is that a concept that any of you have heard of? This is our last supper in a 21st century postmodern, post-post-feminist sort of way. If you really want to run this country, you will have to do something about your hair. This is filmmaker Sally Potter's latest, and very few people can write banter as well as she does. And Mm -hmm. she, man, the cast in this movie, I mean, she could not have asked for better people to to be spouting her lines. Kristen Scott Thomas. Patricia Clarkson. Timothy Spall, Killian Murphy, Emily Mortimer. It's one of those great ensembles. Oh, that tremendous. You can tell they just had a ball with this dialogue. Patricia Clarkson is flawless. She's stunning in this movie. And it is it, very much in the same way that Thoroughbreds is. It is a, it is a pitch black comedy that is aimed at, at just exposing the ugliness right beneath the surface of the highest of the classes. And it's actually, unlike Thoroughbreds, the writing is not as sharp as it seems to be. It's simply that the performances are such deadpan perfection that you just let it go. There are there are some flaws to the film, and a kind of trick ending doesn't really help. But you just want it to go on for another two hours. It's only 75 minutes long. Yeah. It's barely feature length. And you just want you just want to sit and listen to these particular people talk for another hour and a half. Yeah. In some ways, it reminded me of the movie Carnage from a few years yes. ago. Yeah. Which was a just a small kind of dinner party, just yep. a small gathering. And that was only four people. But the banter was so cutting. Oh, yes. And so dark. So this one expands the cast and a great cast. But uh, some of the same, some of the same sensibilities. But yeah, I I love that type of humor and that oh, repartee, especially oh, yeah. when it's done by such great actors. So uh, I think you're right. At sometimes the material falters a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, but the performances, especially Patricia Clarkson, uh, well worth it for the party. Mm-hmm. A bunch also this week coming out on home video and Blu-ray, DVD, everything, and it's lit. The, the pack is led by Lady Bird that we've talked about so many times. It was up for Oscars here just last weekend and. There's not much more we need to say except go see it. See it. If you haven't seen it, you really need to. You really need to. If you can't, if you didn't get a chance to see it on the big screen, 
Uh, that would be our first recommendation. Yeah. But yeah, bring it home and watch that. Also out uh, this week, Woody Allen's latest Wonder Wheel. That one was a bit of a kind of an odd bird. It's, it stars Kate Winslet, who is great as she always. She is great. And Jim Belushi, who is also very good. Great. Surprisingly uh, good. Yeah. You know, Temple is good. And uh, it's, it's set uh, back around this amusement park on the Jersey Shore. And, you know, I think it falters because it just doesn't know what kind of movie it wants to be. It, it veers off in this weird fourth wall narration by yeah. Justin Timberlake's character. That doesn't work at all. That, that doesn't work as his character is having an affair with uh, Kate Winslet who's married to uh, Jim Belushi and yeah it, it that's kind of starts derailing uh, the the whole the whole production and it, it has some some decent characters that you think could have been something more if he he has this wistful um, these wistful remembrances for this area this this shore type of life and then there, there's constant reminders about that we're all just living our lives as actors in a play and all that sort of thing, and this grand tragedy that never quite materializes. Well, so, also, I feel like, so Justin Timberlake's character is playing uh, a guy who's going to college to be a screenwriter. Yeah. And uh, so he's very much, the as there is always a Woody Allen character in all of his films, he's very much the Woody Allen character, and he's a storyteller. But he's the least in compelling. It, right. Nobody cares. Yeah, it's not it just, his story. Yeah, we don't. And, we don't and feel it really, it. It, it it takes away from the fact that it's Kate Winslet's character's story. Let's let's see her point of view, but we don't. Yeah, yeah. So can't really recommend Wonder Wheel. Also, the man who invented Christmas. That is a uh, Christopher Plummer playing the imaginary character of Ebenezer Scrooge because it centers around the creation of the original Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens and Dan Stevens plays Charles Dickens. So. It, it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of unsure of what exactly it wants to be, a biography, because it definitely wants to get into the, the personal demons that Dickens was exercising when he wrote this classic. But then it gets off into the whimsical fantasy of the character come to life. And it's certainly pleasant, perfectly pleasant, especially for the families, especially around the holidays. Right. But uh, never really rises to anything memorable. Also available this week is a movie that you really enjoyed called Mohawk. Yes. I got a chance to talk to director Ted Gagan, who put this one out. It's available. It'll be in limited release as well, but you can get it on VOD right now. And it's the story of the War of 1812 from told from the point of view of uh, a woman, a Mohawk Indian. Uh, she's a badass. And the story upends cliches left and right. And, you know, in looking into it, I, I'm confident that this may this may be the first Western ever told from an indigenous person's point of view. It is absolutely the first one told from an indigenous female character's point of view. Mm -hmm. So he again, breaking ground left and right. But the, the point is, it's an interesting, brutal fascinating story. You know, it tells you a history that you're familiar with. If you've ever seen a Western, and I assume you have, but it tells it to you in a, in a different light that makes it fresh and appealing. And one more available this week. It's one that we liked, a smaller movie called Novitiate. This tells the story of a, of a woman who is planning to become a nun, even though her family doesn't think it's a great idea. And she joins the convent right around the time of Vatican II, which is a time when the Catholic Church underwent revolutionary changes and so while she is learning to to love the church and to love this new calling she's paired with a mother uh mother superior who's been in the convent for in the sisterhood for you know 30 years and has is having a really hard time embracing the change within the church so it's a really great couple of performances from some very very talented women and it's a really interesting period piece to watch as well 
So definitely a busy week. Hope you can find something good. Next week, it's Tomb Raider, the latest, the reboot of Tomb Raider. Also, Love, Simon, and a movie called Flower. So we'll talk about those next week. Until then, let us know what you thought about any of the movies this week. So much to choose from. Easiest way to get a hold of us is on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. And the main website, you can find all our written reviews and other fun stuff, as well as our other podcasts, strictly about horror movies, called Fright Club. Check that out, if you will. You can find it on our website at madwolf.com. So until next week, The Screening Room, a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and Marcus Crosswoods Theater, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is The Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.